Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Haya Dawn, who is the CEO of Asino Resources. They're a TSXV Gold Explorer, soon to be developer uh, with assets in Namibia. Uh, first time we've caught up with him, and he talks us through their business plan. In fact, he also covers off his track record previously of having exited and made shareholders money on a couple of other occasions. Uh, we talk about the opportunities ahead of them. Now, the market cap is quite significant given what they've delivered in terms of numbers but he's very aware of that is looking to deliver a uh, resource by the end of this year and get into some kind of PEA PFS level type study for next year so a lot moving uh, a lot happening and also some potential M&A so enjoy the podcast. Hiya how are you doing sir? Great thank you it's great to be on your show. Yeah, well, no, thanks. Thanks, Johnny. So first time we've spoken, first time we've met. People always always get me to say, you know, have you got prior relationships with with these companies? And say, no, no, we don't. Um, So you you are down in uh, South Africa at the moment. So how are things down there? Things are pretty stable. I live in Cape Town. I'm a Namibian. uh, I do send our projects out in Namibia, but um, because I live in Cape Town, I've got my office here. Um, so we locked down. We obviously affected by COVID. South Africa's got a, a big outbreak, um, but you know, gold price is high. We fund it, and so we. I'm, I'm pulling the strings by remote control. Got a very good team in Namibia, so it's it's, it's working fine. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, we, we kind of caught up with someone earlier this week on what's happening down in South Africa. Sounds sounds uh, sounds tough uh, for for people, and the government's doing what it can to help out, but. Uh, What's, what's your sense of how the government's reacted? I think they're trying their best, but you know the biggest issue is that the you know obviously um, you know they, they don't have the sort of fiscal power that European governments have. So you know the economy is heavily impacted by by the lockdown, but there's no um, relief package from the government or, or, or just a, a very limited relief package. So I think everyday man in the street is suffering. For us, it's okay because you know for, for a gold company, the macro environment is good. Um, and also, we raise money in hard currency and Canadian dollars. But uh, operating in Namibia, we have the Namibian dollar, which is linked to the South African rand, which is very weak. So we we get a lot more bang for our buck. So we actually in a in a great position. You're in a great position. It's, um, well, you know, I hope you hope you guys have come out of that soon. Um, it's always sad to hear what's going on in various countries around the world. Um, well, look. Um, why don't we kick off with that uh, one-minute overview of the business, and then we'll uh, pick it up from there. Okay. So I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Osino Resources Corp. Osino was a gold exploration company active in Namibia. I say was because we are rapidly evolving out of the exploration stage into the development stage. We made a, a very significant gold discovery, which we announced um, towards the end of last year. And we have since, in the last 10 months or so, we've, we're doing everything we can to accelerate that discovery um, to demonstrate and turn it into a, uh, an economic gold mine. So it's really exciting times for us. Yeah, okay. So, so I think it's worth, for people new to this story, as, as, as we are, uh, to maybe go back a bit, okay? I think a lot of, I mean, you're sitting at 125 million bucks worth of market cap today. The share price has been going up going up steadily. You know, we've seen companies 
you know, way ahead of you in terms of where they are on the curve, but not getting getting those sorts of valuations. You, however, have got a track record that people really buy into and your ability to deliver access. So before we get into what I normally start with is, you know, what's the plan? Can we just talk about that track record, what you have done in the past? Sure. No, no, that's a good intro. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so I mentioned earlier, I'm an Namibian citizen. I'm a mining engineer. I used to work for, I've built and operated gold mines uh, in a previous life in West Africa and other places. So I know the gold space very well. I really know what works in terms of gold mining. So fast forward a couple of years in 2009, I became an entrepreneur after many twists and turns, spent some time in finance and other places after being, having been an engineer. Um, so in 2009, there was a project in Namibia that, that became available in a, in a uh, bank run sales process called Ochikoto. At the time, it had about a million, million and a half ounces of gold. It was seen to be marginal and people didn't think it could work. Um, so I came in together with my partners. I recognized its potential. So we acquired it, um, raised money, did a classic sort of TSX junior mining listing in 2010 took the company public, drilled the hell out of it, um, did various things, basically um, brought it out into the open um, to about 2 million ounces. And we ended up selling that project to B2 Gold in 2012 for $200 million. And B2 subsequently went ahead and actually built a very successful gold mine on it. So that's, that's that was great for us because it demonstrated our thesis. B2 made us look very good because they demonstrated that these type of lower grade gold deposits could be highly profitable. And um, so that was a nice success. I made some money, but more importantly, I learned how to do it or how it's done, had a nice success. So subsequent to that, the markets fell out of bed. So it became very difficult to do anything. So I took another job, did various other things. But then in 2016, I had another breakthrough where I ran a company. It was a turnaround situation in Ecuador, which I ended up selling to Ross Beatty. Ross Beatty is a big Canadian, one of the top Canadian mining investors. And, you know, he was obviously on the other side of the table from me when he negotiated that deal. He took a liking to me in that process, like my style. And he became my cornerstone investor in this company, Osino. Basically, at the time, um, I told him my vision, which was, I've done it once in Namibia before. B2 turned my project, which I sold for 200. B2 turned that into a billion dollar company. Um, and I think I can do that again. So will you help me? And so that's when Ross came on board. I put up a lot of family money and a lot of my own money and a lot of my friends and family came in. And then with Ross came a lot of other credible money. So so that's that's basically how we got started. And then Osino, I, I shall say I'm quite proud because Osino literally started as a dream. And the dream was it was going to be a consolidation play, put some licenses together, credible management, quality money, and then see if we can make a discovery. Because geologically, we knew that the potential was there to make a discovery, but you know, discoveries aren't made every day. These things usually take many years and lots of capital. And so, as Osino, we succeeded in doing that, again, for a number of reasons, but primarily um, knowing what we're doing, being well-funded, and having dedication and, and, and you know, good execution capacity. So we pulled it through, and that culminated in this discovery, which we made last year. Now, you must remember that was a... It was a process from 2016, 15, 16, when we started, all the way to 2019, when we ultimately made the discovery, after having spent about $15 million of risk money. So it's a long journey. It is. Um, 
now it's very satisfying because of just sorry i'll just say this the discovery has been made and, and now it's obviously it's a very the company has evolved into something very different okay th- 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 thanks for that and i do want to get into detail because I, I do want to back management teams who are competent and know what they're doing and have done it before i also like to discover whether they did it by accident, by good timing, by good fortune, by planning, or just having the money available to do it. So can I just take you- All of it. All of the above, always, always. Um, Let me take you back though. Let me take you back to uh, Ochicato, which is, I make it sound Italian, don't I? I think I do make it sound Italian. Ochicato. Cotto. We, I'm intrigued there about Someone else had looked at it and thought, this isn't going to go anywhere. But you came and said, actually, based on what I can see, I can see potential. So what was it that you saw that they didn't? You know, what was that moment where you go, because most people think, oh, someone's looked at this. It doesn't work. Move on to the next thing, right? Was it because that's all that was available or did you know something that they didn't? What was that moment? Couple of, a couple of reasons. I mean, the one thing was it was owned by a company that was actually focused on base metals in the Zambian copper belt. And they had this gold project. So it was clear that they weren't going to give it the attention that it deserves. That was the one thing. The other thing is dogma. Never underestimate dogma. Like all industries are ridden with dogma. Um, and I would say one of my key strengths amongst uh, a few other things, but one of my key strengths is not to take no for an answer. So I've got, usually when I have conviction in something, I'm not scared to bang the table and to go for it. And that's so, in this case, uh, it was pretty simple. I used just good mind planning expertise that I had built up at Anglo Gold. I took the existing resource model that was there. I gave it to some consultants. I said, can you reevaluate this to me, for me, with this operating philosophy in mind and could that work? And, and they said, yes, it could work. So it was literally that simple. Um, the dogma, I just want to come back to quickly because this is very, uh, important to what Asina does now. Um, and that is, you know, in those days, people were not that familiar yet, or, or, or some people weren't that familiar with these high tonnage, lower grade deposits, especially a lot of your retail investors possibly listen to your show. A lot of the Canadians, they love these epithermal, um, low tonnage, high grade, next pop, share price shoots, we can trade. This is not it. This is large tonnage, continuous, but lower grade. However, very profitably mined and much more likely to actually become a gold mine because of the uh, continuous disseminated nature. So that's a te- technical aspect. And, you know, me having mined these type of deposits before as a mining engineer for Anglo, obviously I had the conviction. So, um, and then there were other things like Namibia is at that stage wasn't known, wasn't seen to be a gold jurisdiction. Um, it only had one other gold mine just didn't have any track record. Um, and that's changed now uh, with the success that P2 have had with, with that gold mine. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, it, 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 does, it does answer the question. But then you can, you can then sort of segue it over to Chile, the, you know, the other side of the world. Um, I know you sold that to Lumina Gold. And, you know, again, that was, that, that was another kind of moment for you because tell me about the project first because I, I will get on to Ross. You know, Ross has been on this show. We've, we've heard his story. We've, we've had, you know, the Lumina Group on here. So we, we understand a little bit. But why did you go all the way to South America when you, you're an expert in Africa? Oh, to be honest, I was doing all of that from this very same room that I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> you know, the, the beauty of our business is that um, 
sort of strategic management of junior mining companies can be done from just about anywhere because it's largely, you know, you work with consultants, with, with banks, with brokers, you travel a lot, but you can be anywhere. So, but to answer the question, the, the, the reason I got into that was just, I was just being opportunistic because one of the shareholders that made money on that B2Gold deal on us um, was a large shareholder in this Ecuadorian company. And it was in the downturn 2015 when they ran out of options. They had a problematic CD, CEO and they needed somebody that understands what's going on that can deliver a turnaround. And so I just took the job. And for a couple of reasons, there were some unique aspects. Um, it, was, it only took a year, year and a half, um, and it ended in the sale to Ross. Um, but more or less in parallel, I'll start, I started doing putting Osino together, which, um, which I went back to then. So, okay, but tell, tell me about these couple of unique um, problems, because I like problem solvers. I want to back people who can solve problems, because mining's not easy. Mining's tough. Things happen. So when you go and do a turnaround, you know, what were the things that you were equipped to do that the previous CEO wasn't? I think, uh, well, the one thing is credibility. It's obviously hugely important. Uh, and I mean, Ross will back me out and Ross will would confirm this if, if he was sitting here. They only looked at that company because I was the CEO. They wouldn't have looked at it otherwise. Um, so personal credibility is key. Obviously, you know, the good old values, honesty, integrity, all the good stuff. Um, I would say that, yeah, that is a key aspect. Another aspect is ability to execute. It's a high-flying term for just getting shit done. Excuse my language. And I'm very good at that. You know, I'm very good at crossing the T's, dotting the I's. Just, I guess it's the my German heritage. I'm, I tend to be thorough, detail-oriented. I make sure that stuff gets done. And I would say, you asked me earlier what, what's, what, what have been the ingredients of the success in Osino from getting it to a dream to $120 million market cap. Um, probably the largest aspect is execution because that's stuff that you can control. The markets and all that stuff is also important, but you can't control it. So I tend to focus on the things that I can tr- control, which very clearly in my case is execution. And you know, living, living in Cape Town close to where the assets are, et cetera, helps me in that. Sorry, I got, I got sidetracked now, but yeah, that's a key aspect. So, okay. Uh, so there, there, was no, there was no sort of Versprung technique. Uh, y- there's no aspect to the, in, in terms of a technical component that you had to solve. It was literally just joining the dots. Is that what you're saying? No, neither. You know, it's always, there are many, many aspects. There was a, actually, this is a great question. Thank you. Thank you for asking it. Um, there was a unique technical challenge that we solved in Namibia, which we are very proud about, um, which, which also was a major factor. And that was exploration through cover. I mean, everybody knows that uh, in today's world, most of the big deposits that are exposed out in the open have been found. So therefore, any new stuff will, will either be found in very difficult jurisdictions like the stands or Russia or complicated places like that or in the jungle or undercover. Um, and now Namibia, if you look at it, uh, I mean, Namibia is largely undercover. It's, it's, it's covered by desert sand. Um, and although it is so accessible, you know, uh, sort of physically accessible, um, and it's so easy to operate there, it is actually totally underexplored or even unexplored because of the cover. And the cover in Namibia is a, is a sand layer of about 20 meters, 10 to 20 meters that covers just about everything. Uh, not, not everything, but most, most areas. So we, we applied, well, first step, what I did is I found two very credible geologists that have a perfect combination of innovation and experience and ability to, to deliver. 
And those guys uh, came up with a conceptual exploration model. Um, I had the money with Ross and others, and I have enough self-confidence um, and experience that I could trust those geos. And I took a view on them and I said, okay, carry out a long-term large-scale exploration program, which they did. And as part of that, they looked to Australia um, to find solutions for exploring through cover because it has been done elsewhere before, so we didn't invent it. We just applied these Western Australian techniques to the Namibian situation because, you know, it's, it's um, climatologically, it's very similar. So basically, just in a nutshell, when you have a lot of evaporation, you have groundwater that percolates upwards and it carries with it minute quantities of gold, um, which precipitate out near the top. Um, and there were Western Australians and the CSIRO, a research organization over there, in the last 20 years came up with essay techniques to analyze down to minute quantities. Um, and that resulted in some significant discoveries in Western Australia. And all we did is we imported those techniques, we applied it to Namibia and it worked. And so by the beginning of last year, so we, using these techniques, we delineated a very large surface expression of a gold system through this cover, 15 kilometer system, which we call the Twin Hill system. Um, and we then followed it up with multiple rounds of drilling and it ultimately uh, resulted in this discovery, which is completely undercover, completely blind, which we are doing now. Okay, so I, I know you're gonna talk to me in, in a minute about you've just, you just raised some money at $17.1 million. Um, you're gonna tell me what, what you did with that, but just wanna come back to this Ross Beattie moment, because it's important. He's backing you, the man, he likes your style, like what you did, okay. But you still gotta sell. He's not gonna pump money into something which isn't gonna work. So what was the, how, how long was that conversation in terms of, here's what I think I've got, Ross. I'm a, I'm a good guy, I've made you some money, we've all made each other some money. Um, here's what I've got today and here's how I'm gonna convert that into value and dollars for you. What, what was that conversation? <laughs> that could save us all a lot of time, right? So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it took six months, to be honest, because um, that deal that I negotiated with his group on the sale of my company at that time, which became Lumina Gold, which by the way, I'm still on the board of, well, it was an extremely complicated transaction that took us probably almost a year to complete, six months of intensive negotiations, etc. So you can imagine in that process, um, he, we got to know each other intimately. And, you know, obviously, you know, a relationship like that, you don't take lightly. So I didn't, I didn't ask him on day one whether he would invest in my new company. I asked him that after the other deal had closed and everything was done and dusted. Um, and then the, con the conversation automatically came to, what are, you, what are you doing next? And I was already on the road um, and I said, what, don't you want to participate? And so at that point, it was a very, very quick conversation. I mean, Ross, Ross is, is always a tough negotiator. So he negotiated me down, he made me issue warrants and various other things that I didn't want to do. Um, but I wasn't entirely reliant on him either because I mean, this is a key lesson I just want to bring in here. One of the other key aspects that I've paid attention to in every deal I've done is to diversify my sources of funding, not to be reliant on one single funder, not even Ross Beatty. And so at that time, you know, that gives you strength. And I think Ross thrives on that. You know, if you if you come to Ross with your tail between your legs, you won't get anything. Um, so you have to face him. 
I did that. And um, so, yeah, anyway. No, that's, um, a, no, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair point. The, the, I'm just trying to, like, I'm, build, I'm building up a point system here of, you know, how do you go about building this and protecting your own shareholders, not putting your company in a position where it's dependent uh, on, on someone else or something else, in this case, money or individuals. But he did raise the awareness of this because there's a cult of Ross Beatty, people who will only invest in Ross Beatty projects, right? And, and that's that's fine. It's a, you know, it's fair enough uh, for, for some people's strategy. Um, so he, he kind of did raise the awareness for you, which, which helped, and the money helped because some companies struggle to raise the capital to actually get things going. And it, um, it kind of, you know, slingshots you through the kind of painful exploration process. Now, you've got to raise some more money now. What are you going to do with it? Did you say I have to or I have? You have. Sorry, it, it, it says here. No, we have. We have. Yes, Oversubscribed. Yes, yes. No, no, yeah. 17.7 million exactly. bought exactly. deal. No, no, no. I just, no right. so, so just to finish off on Ross and then I'll come on to the new financing. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Ross gave us credibility. And he we, we, we were able to raise the $10 million of risk money in a dead market that, that we used to bring to bring us to this point. So absolutely. And, and you know, with him came other quality institutional money that supported us and so forth. So that, that's, that's what Ross did for us. Um, of course, once we made the discovery, um, uh, which was towards the end of last year, um, it de-risked our company substantially from a technical perspective because all of a sudden we weren't just a dream with some quality money behind it anymore, but we were now a real project with a sig significant footprint. And at that point, it opened us up to a different audience, a more institutional type of audience. So we did we did our first real institutional raise in January of this year, where we raised about $15 million or so. Um, and that really set us free. Um, most people at that time thought that we that, that was going to be it for a while, and it would have been enough for a while. Um, but you know, you asked me earlier about the ingredients of success, and one of those is also prudency. So when I felt, when I saw this mining market heating up in the last couple of months, and I just saw one financing after the other, um, and our share price was performing, I felt it was prudent to take some more and make sure that we funded um, well into the development phase, um, not taking things for granted. And that's why we did it. I mean, there were quite a few skeptics who said, maybe we took too much or we shouldn't have done it, but I'm very confident that it was the right thing. and. So yeah, we got about $25 million in bank now. We've got uh, significant warrants that are in the money. Um, and we can do whatever we want to do in terms of ramping up the project and executing to get it to the to the mining stage. Okay. Namibia, we know Namibia through a few uranium companies operating in country. Uh, and it's 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 tough at the moment there as well. You know, the government's had to make some decisions, some, you know, and they've had restricted mining operations, uh, how's it affected you? Yeah, it's very tough, primarily because of tourism. Namibia is heavily dependent on tourism. So again, if fiscally speaking, you know, for the economy, socioeconomically, it's, 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 it's very complicated for them. Um, they, the mining industry has sort of um, plotted through. So yes, they, were, they had some restrictions to the operators. We locked on for about six weeks. So basically we just stopped our drill programs from about March to May. Um, and then in May, we started up again, um, and we are basically on full tilt. We had four drill rigs drilling um, at, the, at, you know, at the same time, and we are looking to add more rigs and ramp up our activities more. I guess 
The difficulty that we have is that we can't travel there. I can't go there and, and visit my own operations because of the um, international travel restrictions. But we are fortunate in that we've got a very credible Namibian team um, who are operating quite happily. So yeah, so it hasn't affected us much, um, but we are waiting sorely to be able to travel there again. Okay, so given the amount of money that you've got and you've got four, four drill rigs uh, running at the moment, um, what are you working towards? Because again, when I look through the presentation, you know, you do talk about your experience and track record, and you've got some nice names there, nice shareholders, you've got reasonable uh, institutional coverage now, as you say, but there's, there's not a lot of meaningful data compiled together to tell the story of what it is that you've got and what you're going to do. So when's that coming? Yeah, thank you. It's good criticism, fair criticism. I guess one of the reasons it isn't there is because, because of 43101, you know, the Canadian Stock Exchange Code, um, which is very prescriptive on what you are allowed to talk about on project and economic information. So, I, so therefore, I'm allowed to paraphrase, but I can't give you exact numbers. But um, in, in a nutshell, we used to be an exploration company. We made the discovery, and we are now developing that discovery as fast as we can into an operating gold mine. Um, now that process that I'm talking about is um, that's a, that's a that's a two to four year timeline, and we are right in the beginning of that timeline. Um, and there are a couple of steps that we have to follow in order to do that. Firstly, we have to define an economic resource. Um, so that's step number one. And the plan is to put that out early next year with a bit of luck, maybe this year, but I don't want to promise. Um, and the idea is we're fairly confident that, and this is also, I think, why our market cap is where it is. Um, we are going to put out a substantial initial resource, you know, in the, who knows? I don't want to mention numbers, but it's going to be between one and two million answers, hopefully closer to two million answers type of thing. Um, so it's a, it's a resource that is of similar scale and look and size to the other two operating gold mines in Namibia. The B2 Gold one, um, which, which produces 150,000 ounces a year. So it's a typical sort of tier two type of open pit operation. That's our target. That's where we want to go. Our discovery promises or indicates this, that it certainly shows the potential to, to achieve that. Um, so that's first, the, the initial research uh, resource. At the same time, ongoing exploration to make it to make it bigger and better, um, and then at the same time, in parallel with this, somewhat offset, um, is to do a PEA. A PEA is a Canadian term. It's a preliminary economic assessment. It's basically a pre-feasibility study, um, but you have to do it if you're going to speak about economics on a project, um, and you can do as many as, as of these as you like. Typically, operators usually explore build a large resource, and then later they do a PEA. I'm going to accelerate all of that because, um, because we want to put the project on the map um, and we want to show the true potential that it has. So that's what we're doing in the, in the next um, six to 12 months. Beyond that, it's a full-on development timeline. Then if the assuming that the resource is big enough and assuming that the economic numbers in the PEA are good enough, um, you would then look to do detailed feasibility studies, financing, uh, start of construction and actually getting into money. Now, when I spoke about a two to four year timeline, so resource PEA is the first year, second year financing detailed feasibility studies, commencement of construction maybe, 
and third year, fourth year construction and operation. So I think I think in three or four years time, um, there's a good chance that there might be an operating gold mine here. Now, of course, many other things could happen in the meantime from a corporate perspective. There's M&A, there's all sorts of stuff that can happen that we that we positioning ourselves for. But um, but I think that's a that's a different angle. Meaning, meaning I, again, I want to know what I'm getting into here. So you, you're, I know you have built mines with some big companies before, but your your recent history is taking them through to a stage where you're taken out, right? You're you're, you're seeking that. Are you seeking that again here? Is this the cookie cutter approach, or do you genuinely want to get into production? I think you know a lot of people ask me that, and um, it sounds too glib sometimes to say, "Oh no, we'll just sell out," because it's actually not about that. It's ultimately about shareholder value. And as a CEO, um, of course, I've got personal interests. I've got interests as an immigrant citizen, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they, they all converge. But ultimately, my role is to deliver shareholder value in the best way possible. And shareholder value is not just returns. It's also risks. Um, so um, that's why, I mean, you, you alluded to, I've, I've sold some companies in the past. And I think I did the right thing. Like B2 Gold is the best example. I don't think... In 2012, if we had stuck with that project, we would have gone down, likely would have gone down in flames with the rest of the gold mining market. Maybe we would have lost the project. Who knows? We sold it at the right time to Beach Gold, who took on all that project risk and all the financing risk, and they built a very successful gold mine. Um, yes, we left some value on the table. That's that, that comes with the territory. Now, um, I'm just painting a picture here. Uh, I can't answer your question directly. I cannot say, yes, we definitely want to sell the company. I think we want to deliver shareholder value. And I do believe that the best way to achieve that is at the appropriate time, which is probably um, closer. You know, once, once we've delineated the true potential of what we have through exploration and through technical studies, and once, once it therefore gets to the construction stage, I think that is an appropriate time to look for senior partners that have production expertise, that are well-financed, et cetera. So I think it's possible that that outcome that you're painting, that it will happen. Okay. But it's, you know, you never know. We, If we have to, we will construct and operate. Okay. It's a great uh, gold environment at the moment. I mean, never been, never been better for, for gold companies. Given the stage that you're at, and uh, given the market conditions at the moment, I mean, do you, do you think you're perhaps overvalued? No. Firstly, of course, I'm the CEO of a company. What would I say? But <laughs> apart from that, I genuinely, I'll tell you very simply why I don't think we are overvalued. We sold, I, don't, I mean, you're an ex-banker, so you've seen the comp tables, et cetera, and, and that's what you should look at. I mean, obviously, it all depends on your, on your valuation methodology. You know, you know, beauty is an eye of the beholder. Um, so, but... If you, I mean, if you consider development, advanced exploration development companies like we are, um, what they trade for, and you look at the reasonable comps for us, companies, I don't know if your listeners know these companies like Tieta Resources in Ivory Coast, or Roscan in Mali, or Oclo, all these companies are well-run, well-financed, successful explorers stroke developers that have a range of valuations. Now, if you compare us to them, our evaluation is reasonable. Um, I think our Achilles heel at the moment, which is probably why you say what you said, is the fact that we don't have a resource art. People see us as just an exploration company. And we cannot talk about this resource, which we are working towards, 
because we haven't done it yet and we're constricted by 43101. Um, and that's why I am um, accelerating and going hell for leather on our drilling to get that resource out as fast as I can. But in doing so, I will only do it if it is substantial because otherwise you shoot yourself in the foot. But I think if, if you and I talk again in six months time and we have a substantial resource out and you uh, apply our current market cap to that, um, let, let, let's, let's pick a number. Let's say 2 million answers. Let's say our, our, I'm not saying it will, but let's say 2 million answers is, a, is, is by next year, we will have that as a, as, a, as, a, as a maiden resource, which would be a great achievement. I'm not saying we will achieve it. Um, and you apply our current market cap, that's $50 an ounce. That's half of what we sold our Chicota to be to gold for. And that was 10 years ago in a descending gold environment with no track record. All of that is better now, better gold market, much more track record. Namibia has got track record. So I think we should easily achieve the valuation multiple of $100, $150 an ounce um, at the resource stage. Once you get to production, of course, those multiples go up. Now, that these numbers that I'm giving you is, is like two times our current market cap. So I, I believe, actually, let me, just, let me just make this point, which I think is a key point in terms of the value that Osino offers as an investment opportunity. I believe we are one of the best risk return opportunities out there because I think the risk, the key risks in junior, in, in junior exploration, financing, discovery, i.e. technical and management have all been mitigated. So we got the money in the bank, we've made the discovery. What we're doing now is largely a mechanical process, ticking the boxes, you know, drilling the holes. So therefore we have totally de-risked and we've got significant um, upside opportunity um, through delivering this project and turning it in, into a feasible gold mine. And there are other factors. We haven't even spoken about the sort of M&A environment that's unfolding in Namibia. But yeah, so I think we, we're in a great position. I'm not, I'm not uh, promising a 10-bagger, but um, I think the, the, the likelihood of us delivering on the plans that I've outlined is very high. And, and that's going to be that, that will be reflected in share price. Which is brilliant. You're good at joining the dots. You told me you were, so it sh should be nice and easy, right? Um, but I'm interested in the M and A component because I, Ross Beatty said to me that they, when he was on the show, he said, you know, um, Pan African, Pan American, so last big bet he's going to make. Okay, so he's he's not going to be building up the next big thing in Africa with you. It sounds like to me. So with him or without him. Do you think you've got the credibility to go and raise more capital for M&A in the market? I, I get in the very positive bull environment like this, everything's getting financed, but is that a conversation you seriously want to have? Is that, a, is that something you want to take on before you've really got this company established on you know, the Twin Hill projects? Um, to be honest, no, because um, <clears throat> I like to stick to my knitting. And I think building companies and um, creating things as we've done with Osino, that's my core competence. And I'm good at it. And I know what I'm, I, I, know, I, I focus on the things that are under my control. However, we're in a unique situation in Namibia because we are right next to an operating gold mine, which has many very interesting attributes, but it is owned by a group of people that want to sell it. Um, so that mine, uh, it's going to be that, that mine. Yeah, it's it's a couple of hundred. It's well, anyway. Let, let me not. It's dollars. It'll cost dollars. For yeah, us. yeah, yeah. It's dollars. <laughs> it's it's a, it's an it's an open pit gold mine that Anglo used to own. 
that's been in production for 30 years, that's got a large resource endowment. It's got four or five million answers left. It's in production. It has a couple of issues. It's been starved of capital for a long time. And it's got um, absentee parents. So it needs a new owner. Now, that mine <clears throat> is 20 kilometers away from our 20 year discovery. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there are obvious, glaring operational synergies where we have growth, they have established infrastructure, and, and, and. So I think putting us and them together is an, just such an obvious case of one plus one is going to be substantially more than two. Uh, not just operating synergies, also re-rating. When I spoke to you earlier about the valuation of our answers, um, that's just on a, on a standalone basis. But if you look at other examples that are out there, successful deals, like for example, Taranga bought that Masawa project from Barrick some time ago, and Taranga, the share price, you know, tripled or quadrupled subsequently. So there was a substantial re-rate that took place. Now that re-rating is value that could accrue to shareholders. Now as Osino, I would prefer to for someone else to do all that hard, hard, hard lifting and for us to just keep on exploring, delivering, delivering an excellent project. But I'm not sure I'm going to have that luxury. And that's why when this M&A happens, we're going to be part of that in some shape or form, either as an acquirer or being acquired or in a JV or whatever. We are hopefully going to be the kingmaker in all of this. Um, and we are positioning ourselves for that. And that's, and that is, um, it has mostly opportunity, um, but it also has some threats, obviously, because, you know, if you're an exploration investor, do you all of a sudden want to be turned into operate, operational turnaround, et cetera? So it's it's not all a silver bullet or a slam dunk, but but it is downside protection for investors because it's highly likely that this M&A, specifically in our neighborhood, is going to come. It is going to come. And, and I think your shareholders and people interested in you want to know what part you're going to play because you're 125 million market cap Canadian market cap company, Canadian. right? So Canadian. that's not even real money. So the acquisition is significantly, or so the JV, thing, we're talking about significantly more dollars than that, right? And I do, I do get it. People are talking about it, but they want to understand is, you know, it's all well and good saying we're going to be the kingmakers, but why aren't you leading from the front and saying, well, actually, we, we will manage this entire process. Where are you? What can you tell me? Yeah, obviously, this is all over. This is highly speculative because at the moment, the process hasn't even started. Correct. Um, and we, we, we believe that it will start at some stage. We don't know exactly when. But um, personally, I'm interested to uh, buy time because, you know, the more time I have to put a resource on the book and a PEA and get the share price up and so forth, the better positioned I am. So that's the first aspect. Um, however... This is an aspect that we cannot control because the owners will decide themselves when to sell. And I think considering that we're at, at, at record gold prices, I, I, I could imagine it will be soon, um, probably soon after the lockdown restrictions have been lifted. Now, how will we, how will we um, act then? Obviously, this is a public forum, I can't tell you, but there are many permutations possible. We could seek partners. We could try to do it ourselves. We could set up a new co which Osino will merely participate in, and that NUCO could be led by Ross Beatty and I. Um, or, and, and, you know, I'm not suggesting anything. This is, this is just me. I cannot speak on behalf of Ross. I'm just painting a picture here of us being in a beautiful position where we've got all the options in the world. We just, if we, if we decide to, we can also just sit there 
and keep delivering and, and the deal will come to us. But that's not in my nature. I'm, I tend to be more proactive than that. So I think for now, that's, that, that's all I can say. Um, but it's a very interesting aspect of the whole evolution of that gold mining district where we are in the center of. It is. Okay. And what, what you need to uh, sort of um, bear in mind is if you take a step back and, and look at the combined package, combined package would have something approaching five, six million ounces of gold resources. It would have all the infrastructure in place in a brilliant jurisdiction like Namibia. Um, and you can apply your own valuation metrics to that. It's that, that's, that, that's substantial value. And that's why I do think um, this, this is a, a very interesting deal um, that, that one should pursue. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you wouldn't talk about it if you weren't serious about it, because obviously the impact on your on your stock, if it doesn't come off, would be extremely negative. So I, I, I do appreciate you're serious I about it. I, can I correct you there? I, I, I wouldn't say so, because when I say one should pursue, I'm not saying that Osino should pursue it. Remember, I'm, I'm a Namibian citizen, ex-Anglo. I used to be there. Um, I, I, I could have different hats. But I would not do anything that's prejudicial to Osino, it goes without saying. So whichever way one would do this, it would be advantageous for Osino. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that our valuation is, has, has a built-in M&A factor. Um, I do think that it is downside protection to some extent. But if the deal doesn't happen, if somebody else, like, a, for example, a Chinese entity, you, you, Chinese tend to be very active these days, if they end up buying that mine, um, and outbidding us because one thing we won't do is is is, is sort of compete on on price. Um, so that's possible. And then, but but then it's still going to be good for Asino because I think it's highly likely. It looks like the resource that we are going to be delivering at the end of this year likely is going to be better than what's remaining at Novachop. So whoever ends up owning Novachop would want to own us. So whichever way it goes, it will end up being positive for Asino. Okay, great. Thanks for uh, clarifying your position. Um, can you talk to me about just before we finish? Because I've really, really enjoyed learning, you know, getting an idea of how you think and how you operate. I really, really appreciate it. Can you talk to me about um, assays and um, metallurgy? And what, again, what, what do you know about what it, what you've got on under the ground there? No, you see, I, yeah, I'm very conscious of the fact I promised people results some time ago already, and we haven't delivered mainly because there've been some logistical issues. So yes, drill results are imminent. Next few weeks, there will be uh, you know, significant drill results. Um, metallurgical test work has been positive. We haven't put it out because we were, we're already busy with the next phase. So again, in the next week or so, we'll put something out on metallurgical test work, which generally it's been um, no issues. It's actually quite positive. Um, and, but more excitingly is the progress that we've made. We've, we've actually, uh, in fact, I can say it, we've appointed a, a very well-known um, engineering group that's going to do a substantial follow-on metallurgical test work program that's actually, actually already kicked off. So we'll, we'll, we'll report that too. And then also imminently, hopefully next week, we'll put out some news on ongoing exploration and an IP survey which has yielded some very interesting results that we are very excited about. So it's going to be quite a detailed press release on ongoing exploration and ramping up of activities that we are planning. Beautiful. That, that, that's really good news. And I'll tell you why, because again, there's some, some conversation around, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the games that are played in the, in the industry, you know, assay results are, 
or promise, metallurgy is promised, and then it goes silent because they're fundraising and you know, it usually indicates that the results aren't going to be what they uh, should be. It might spoil the fundraise. But here you're saying we, we should expect good news for, uh, around the metallurgy. Yeah, you know, the difficulty is I'd love to report results as we receive them. But the problem is that it's in the interpretation of those results. And what we've seen in the past is that people often misinterpret results. The, the market is very greedy. They only like good results and excellent results. Um, and, and that's why it's actually, from, from a company perspective, the prudent approach is to report in significant batches because then you, you, you just see things in perspective. That's what we want to do. So that's why we waited a bit just because we, we wanted to get a nice spread of results across the area where we're drilling and we're waiting for a few additional ones and then we'll put them out. But no, nothing, nothing strange. Hiya. Good man. Uh, really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Uh, loved hearing about us. You know what you're doing. I like the track record. Um, you're planning ahead uh, and the optionality that you, you may have on M&A. We shall see what that turns out to look like. Um, thank you very much for your time. When you do have news, pick up the phone, let us know, okay? Okay, will do. Thank you for the opportunity of being on your show. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.